Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for today is from the Gospel according to St. Luke, the sixth chapter. My dear friends in Christ, Jesus here continues his service, his sermon, not his service, his sermon on the plain. And as he is continuing this, it comes on the heels of Jesus pointing out that people are going to be persecuting those who follow him. They'll persecute him because of his namesake. And those who then are persecuted are blessed by God beyond measure. (coughs) Here, then Jesus picks this up. And he is speaking to these people who are going to be enduring hardship, who are going to be enduring pain and suffering, persecution, even death for the sake of Christ. And he says to them a whole lot of things that seem pretty heavy. But I'd like for you to consider this as an invitation into a life beyond our knowing, a life beyond our understanding, a life that is found in Jesus. Understand that Jesus has died. Understand that Jesus has forgiven your sins. Understand that Jesus welcomes you into everlasting life. Because if you don't start with this, you miss absolutely everything else that Jesus will ever say. Your Christian life is dependent upon the fact that Jesus has lived, Jesus has died, Jesus is risen, and Jesus is going to come again. If you don't have that, you've got nothing. Because that's why we'll endure persecution in Jesus' name. We will go through all of the hell of this earth for the knowledge of knowing we will come out on the other side, risen in imperishable bodies, as Paul says, so that we might live forever with him. We must have this understanding. We must have this faith, and it has been granted to you to believe. It has been given to you in your baptism. It has been strengthened in the supper. And it comes to you each and every time we hear the word or hear it preached to us. And so, with that, with knowing that Jesus Christ is yours, we see that even in this first section of our reading today, Jesus is the typification of the person he's describing here. He's the one who loves his enemies. He's the one who blesses those who curse him. He's the one who prays for his abusers. He is the one who gives them the other cheek, who gives them their cloak, who gives to all who beg from him. And who does everything that he wishes people would do to him and to his followers. Our life is found in Christ. And our life is put upon this very example of Jesus. Our entire life, whether we're here for a few short years or a few short decades, or maybe even an entire century, short in the entire history of the world and in light of eternity. No matter what, our goal through life, and and we're progressing toward it, is to look more and more 
like Jesus. We do. We should be working to be kinder. We should be working to be more understanding. We should be working to be helpers and and lovers of humanity. We should be those who sit with the most egregious sinners in our midst. And so when we do this, we also then should not be surprised when we also look like Jesus as we're being led to our own crosses to be murdered. Because to look like Jesus is to insult the world And the world bears no insult. See, when I was young, my mother told me that if you really want to get under someone's skin, heap, uh, what did she say? Heap coals of kindness upon their heads. I'm sure a lot of your mothers said that. I'm sure you may have even said that to those around you, but it's, it's true. I think what she was saying in those moments was an entire summation of what Jesus has here in Luke chapter 6. Because when the world comes at you, when the world is saying, don't believe in this Jesus, when the world is saying, give in to me, we say, what do you need? I will give it to you. You want my cloak? Have it. In fact, take all my clothes. Do you need my cheek? Slap it. In fact, I've got two for you. Do you need my life? I lay it down for you because my Lord laid his life down for me. And we don't just do this in the face of some nameless persecution that's coming toward us. It's true, we here live in relative peace and relative obscurity right now. There are Christians throughout the world who are being persecuted, their very lives being stolen away from them right this very moment. We don't have that right now. We might disagree politically with stuff that's happening in our own country, in our own state, in our own cities or towns, and that's not Christian persecution per se. Might be, but it's probably not in most cases. But we do all of this, not just as the world comes at us to kill us, but we do all of this as the world comes to us and demands of us. Or we do this even in our daily vocations. I mean, how many people do you serve that really you don't care for? Or how many people do you serve that don't care for you? But yet you do it. Because your job, your calling in this world as a redeemed Christian, as one who has been saved unto everlasting life, is to give away everything you have of yourself and this life that you would inherit the next. You don't earn God's favor by doing so. You do it in response to His favor. We are to lay down everything. The person asks for your cloak, you give them your closet. person asks for your face, you give them everything that you could even become a punching bag. The person asks for your wallet, yeah, Jesus says give it all to them. Give them your line of credit. I, I kind of wonder if Jesus, if he had lived 2,000 years in the future today, if he would have said something about a line of credit off of our credit cards. I don't know. And this is uncomfortable for us, too, isn't it? 
I know it is for me. I, especially during like spring and summer, when I'm driving into work, I get to the corner of, of 76 and Good Hope, and I always see there's a guy there who is going to each individual car and asking for money, and it makes me uncomfortable because I don't, first of all, know what he's going to do with that money. I don't like talking to strangers. I don't like talking to people who are asking for my money. Sometimes I think about going another way to work just so I don't have to run into the people who sit on those corners. But Jesus here, I mean, this is uncomfortable. Jesus here is saying, give to those who beg of you. I don't think he's giving you any exceptions here. Now, I don't think he's saying give what they're asking for necessarily, but give. Give. You might not have exactly what they need, but you have what you have. And God has given what you have to you as a steward that you might use his stuff appropriately. Is there stuff that you are able to do for those who beg of you? Perhaps so. Maybe we need to look at that a little bit more. But, here's the idea. We are called to a life of service. We are called to a life of love. And we love those who are not of our own. Some people take this passage and say, well, Jesus is talking about, you know, all these people in the church. Make sure that you're taking care of those in the church. I mean, your enemies in the church, the ones who curse you in the church, the ones who abuse you in the church. And yeah, sure, do that in the church. But, but Jesus makes it very clear. This is not just for our internal brother and sisterhood that we have here today. This treatment is for those who hate you. And even John says in his epistles, if you have hate, you don't have love. And if you don't have love, you don't have God, because God is love. So Jesus is not talking just about those who are in our midst. He's talking about everybody. Love your enemies. Give to them. Lend to them. Don't expect anything back. Now, as Christians, when we ask for things and it's lent to us, we absolutely should already take into account, not only am I going to give you everything back that I've borrowed, but I'm going to give it to you with interest because that's the right thing to do. But as Christians who lend, we don't do that. We don't say, fine, you're going to give me everything back and you're going to give me interest to make this worth my while. We give sacrificially because Jesus says, do this. This is life as a Christian. These things, I think, make us uncomfortable. We don't like Jesus telling us to do stuff a whole lot. I mean, we're good Lutherans, right? The idea of doing stuff kind of still rubs us the wrong way. But I think that's because we have not rightly preached justification and sanctification all of the time. You are freely, 100% justified by the death of Christ. That means that it has been made right between you and God. All of your sin has been taken to Jesus and He crucified it. And not only that, but now He gives you also His righteousness that you can be counted as one of God's holy ones. There is nothing you need to do to earn it. It is given to you as a free gift. And it is given to all people 
regardless of whether or not they reject it. It is a free gift to all. And all they must do is close that hand that God has opened up to receive that gift. And of course, we know that most people reject that out of hand. However, sanctification is the process by which we become holy, the process by which we look more and more like Christ. And in your justification, you are sanctified. You are made holy. But sanctification through this life is growth. It is a growth in holiness. It is a growth in doing what Jesus says. It is a growth in looking like Him. And we are constantly growing in our sanctification, not because we're doing the holy things, but because we're doing the holy things, the Spirit looks at us and says, this is you being sanctified. And so even though it is we who are cooperating in this way in our salvation, not to earn it, but cooperating with it because we're saved, the Spirit then looks at us, blesses us, and sanctifies us. Justification and sanctification are both gifts, but you have to have both in the Christian life. That's why we started with justification. Jesus Christ lived, died, and was raised for you, and he's coming back to bring you into his eternal glory. But sanctification goes hand in hand with that. And it teaches us that as we live in this world, as we wait for that day of his return, we are to seek after the good. We are to do the right things. We are to try to look like Jesus. And when we finally see that day, when we have his face before our eyes, we realize that we have been made holy. The Spirit was guiding us through all of this. And by Jesus, Jesus' blood and merit, we are counted worthy of entering heaven. The Christian life is one of service and sacrifice and love. And that's because Jesus' life, Jesus' mission, Jesus' purpose was one of service and sacrifice and love. And that's because the Father sent him. Because the Father is about service and sacrifice and love. If you look at verse 36 of Luke chapter 6, you'll start to see how Jesus is bringing this forward. Where he's saying what we do and why we do it. There's two options in here for the next couple verses. You start with what we do and why we do it. So the first thing is, Jesus says, be merciful. And why? Because your Father is merciful. We have mercy because He has shown mercy in sending His Son and not giving us the damnation that we deserve. Then Jesus says, Judge not. And why? Because you will not be judged. This is not a like a quid pro quo kind of thing. The world might think that it is because they love to do this because, of course, we speak what God's truth is and they don't like that. They want to do the opposite of God's truth. And so they'll look at us, well, your Jesus said, judge not. And we'll say, yes, he did. Absolutely he did. And so I am not your judge. 
I do not send you to hell. I do not do anything that stands in the way of what God is working to do in your life. I will preach his truth. I will love you until the end of my life, but I am not your judge because I indeed will not be judged into hell. I don't want anybody else to go there either. We judge not because we will not be judged. That, of course, has that negative connotation, right? It's not just a, well, don't look at me and make a decision. We're called to judge all the time, right? What's right, what's wrong. What's good, what's bad. What's wise, what's stupid. We're called to do this all of the time. But this is that connotation of judgment to hell. Same thing. We don't condemn. Why? Because we are not condemned. We are not cast out. Condemnation is that someone who looks at you and says, damn you. We don't do that. We don't call curses down on people. We don't pray that their lives be ruined and their livelihoods taken away. What kind of people are we? We are those who do not condemn. Then he says, forgive. And why? You are forgiven. You will be forgiven. Not that you aren't forgiven now, but that again on that last day, you know that all of your sins have been taken away. All your faith was not in vain. You are vindicated and justified when you open your eyes and see your Jesus smiling upon you. He says, give. And why? It will be given to you. It's not a quid pro quo thing. However, it is good to understand that as we give, it does inspire among the people who that we're giving to a spirit of giving. And so as we give, they get, then they give, others get, then they give, then others get. And it always goes full circle. This isn't some kind of karmic thing. But it is to inspire a spirit of giving and of love and of sacrifice to all of those who see. They'll know we are Christians by our love. You remember that song? Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Giving, forgiveness, not cursing, not judging, being merciful. This is love. And how do you know that this is love? Because Jesus says it is. Greater love has no man than he who would lay his life down for his friend. And so Jesus has done this. That Jesus laid his life down to show mercy to those whom he loved, the world. That Jesus laid his life down that not one should be judged into hell. And he did this for the world. That Jesus laid his life down so that no one would have to live under the curse of sin or the curse of man. He did this for the world. Jesus laid his life down that those he loved would be forgiven. And he did this for the world. And Jesus laid his life down that they would be given all things in this world. That they would receive them from the hand of God. And he did this out of love. For the world. And then Jesus says something wonderful to you. 
Not by your works are you saved. Not by your works does God bless you in some super abrogated way, but by your works you certainly know that Jesus is real. And as you know that Jesus is real, you see that everything you have has been given and that everything in this world is coming to you. It is promised to you. That's what Jesus says in his Beatitudes. You are the blesseds. You are not the inheritors of the woes. And so in this, all that is, is good measure. And it is pressed down and it's shaken together in a little cup Like everything is filling in there and it is just running over and it's put into your lap that you might have to drink it and there is no end to what you have in the cup because God has given to you absolutely everything. And if that is the measure by which we look at this world out of love and service, commitment, sacrifice, honor, mercy, then certainly we know that our lives will be filled with the same. Not only just from God, but also from those that surround us, those who belong to the fellowship, to the brotherhood and sisterhood of Christ. Our lives will be filled with all of these things as we give them to our brothers and our sisters and to the entire world. Because we know we have already received them from God. So turn your ears in your hearts this day, to hearing Jesus' admonitions to to you in this, what we call, third use of the law, the, the encouragement unto good works. Look at this thing and say, my Lord has saved me. Yes, I deserve nothing but hell and damnation for my sin, but he has had mercy on me. He has forgiven me. And ask then, how now shall I live? Find the answer here. Be merciful. Live lives of service. Live lives of love to your neighbor. And find everything found in the person and work of Jesus for you the very one who has given to you everything that he desires that you show to those that he loves, that he's put around you and into your life. Your Jesus has saved you. Your Jesus has forgiven you. And your Jesus is now leading you into lives of love. In his name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.